Well, good morning and welcome to the Oaks. My name is Terry Lee. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, as you saw in the video, and as many of you know, uh, we're going through something called technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, no, Matt's, Matt's getting it ironed out. Thanks, man. Uh, no, we're going through something called the Roots Initiative. And uh, the Roots Initiative has two goals. So our primary goal with the Roots Initiative is that every single person that calls the Oaks Church home uh, would pray about taking a next step to grow deeper roots in the gospel. Uh, so what does that look like for you? Is that saying, uh, Lord, help me to repent of and forsake a certain sin I've been struggling with. Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give me the ability to do that? Lord, would you identify someone in my life that I can begin intentionally sharing the gospel with or discipling? Uh, does that look like me going through the new missional community group leader training process at the end of this semester so that uh, I could prayerfully consider leading a group next semester? What does that look like? as you consider the primary goal of the Roots Initiative. And the secondary goal of the Roots Initiative is that we would be able to raise the funds needed to finish the renovation of the Oaks Church building. Uh, we have the goal of raising $100,000 to $150,000 to finish the renovations of the, the Oaks Church building. Uh, right now, just because of God's faithfulness and how He has provided for our church, we have uh, roughly 80% of the total 750,000 needed uh, to finish renovations. And so as we're looking at the finish line of this project, um, trying to, to get into this building, having it inspected, getting a certificate of occupancy by the end of the year, or at least first thing uh, in the new year, we're saying let's finish strong, uh, let's raise what is needed as a church family so that we can occupy this space and, uh, and be a part of what God is doing in this city. I mean, I can't say it any better than our church members have said in the video. We are excited to see uh, what God has done because God has been so faithful to our church and we're just willing to say, Lord, if you've opened this door, uh, we want to walk through it and, uh, and we don't want to walk through it, um, you know, and, and just with, with lacking faith, but walking through it in encourage and entrusting him. So um, with that being said, we are also going to take a break from Romans today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, I've, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah like many of you have in our Bible reading plan. We just finished the book of Jeremiah, and so I was kind of reminded of this passage. This is actually a passage that was uh, huge for Abby and I whenever we were praying about where God would put us, and uh, God put Cincinnati on our heart, and so it's kind of neat to be able to come back to this passage all these years later. And at the same time, whenever we were going through the, the sermon schedule planning for Romans, uh, I asked if Jimmy would preach the first section of Romans 14. He started studying it, and he said, I want the whole chapter. And so I said, all right, Jimmy, you can have the whole chapter. And so he, he bought us some time. He bought us a week in the sermon schedule. And so as I was thinking, all right, what, are, what should we do here? Do we finish Romans a little bit early? And I was thinking, what a great time to be able to talk through the Roots Initiative uh, before Commitment Sunday, which is next Sunday. So uh, now Jeremiah 29 has a verse that, that many of you are familiar with. Perhaps it's one of the most famous verses in the Christian faith where, where we read that God knows the plans that He has for us, declares the Lord, plans to prosper us, not for our harm, but for a, for a future, for a hope. I mean, how many 
cards or, you know, embroidered pillows have Jeremiah 29, 11 on them, right? I mean, it's, if, if there's this, you know, high schooler that's about to graduate, still has an undecided major, and you're like, you know what, Jeremiah 29, 11 is really going really gonna to hit home here. I mean, we, we think about that verse. It's one of Christianity's favorite verses, and I think it's for good reason. But, but why? I'm, if you brought your Jeremiah 29:11 coffee mug with you this morning, I don't want to shame you, okay? It's, it is a good verse. But I think sometimes whenever we read Jeremiah 29:11, we can, we can be guilty of almost baptizing the American dream. And whenever we read Jeremiah 29:11 and we hear that God has plans for his people, their plans for prosper, plans for their welfare, we can say, well, okay, so, so that must mean that God's going to always give me a healthy family, that I won't be in debt, that I'll have, you know, a, a big house, that I'll, I'll have all of my needs met. We, we just kind of commandeer what culture would say is the, the American dream and then, and then baptize it and say, okay, surely this is what God wants for me. Sometimes we read Jeremiah 29, 11, and we can almost get this picture that, that Jeremiah is writing these words in the midst of a peaceful meadow near a gentle stream. And whenever you read the context of Jeremiah 29, what you actually find is that this verse was written in a context that more resembles some of the horrific images of war that are all over our news. That, that Jeremiah, inspired by God, is writing these words to a people that were, that were wondering, what is God's plan for us? Well, what, is, what is going on? What does our future look like? Surely God hasn't forgotten us. Surely there is a plan. God, what do we do? And I think that gives us a lot of hope. Why do we need to be reminded of God's plans? As we look at Jeremiah 29, for us as individuals, for us as a church body, it's because oftentimes our plans are not the same as God's plans. Uh, sometimes we, we say, okay, Lord, um, this is what's in my planner this week. This is uh, my, you know, my, my five-year dream. And yet, whenever we come to God's Word, we acknowledge that we have to submit our plans to Him because ultimately He is good and He knows what's best for us. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Uh, maybe you're here and you're, you're going through a season where you'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but my faith has just kind of grow, grown cold. And, and here's, here's my invitation to you as we get to Jeremiah 29. Even if you would say, I, I, don't, I don't know the Lord, wouldn't you want to know that if God, who is in control of everything, has a plan and knows you better than you know yourself, wouldn't you want to know God's plan for you? And wouldn't that be worth 40 minutes of your time on a Sunday morning? I think it is, and I think you believe that, and I think that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you'd, you're, you're here and you'd say, I, I'm a Christian. Um, I, I know that, that the truth of Jeremiah 29, 11 is for me, and yet I often find myself fearful of the future. Uh, I'm crippled by uncertainty. I, you know, whenever I think about the next six months even, there's kind of this pit that develops in my stomach. And could it be that we'll be in this passage this morning so that God can give you some assurance, some comfort, so that, so that you can, even though there is no way for you to be omniscient as God is, that you can at least trust Him in His wisdom as His plan unfolds. So Jeremiah 29 is going to answer the question of how do we not just spend our days, but how do we invest them in the plan of God by, by listening to His Word and discovering His will for our lives. 
As we consider God's plans, the main point will be this, that we bring restoration through the gospel by reaching others, establishing roots where God has placed us, and resting in God's plans. If you have your copy of God's Word, let's look at Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. God's Word says this, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations. And all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you speak to us. Uh, Although we know that the situation that we are in today differs far from uh, what was being experienced in Jeremiah 29, we know that you speak through your word, uh, God, that as, as you guide us through this text, that uh, you can impress these truths upon our heart um, and conform us to the image of Christ. So give us uh, ears to hear, uh, hearts to obey. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we look at Jeremiah 29, uh, you will see that the word seek is used twice. Uh, first, for something, and then second, for someone. Jeremiah 29.7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Second, you will see in this passage that the Israelites are told to seek someone. 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, verse 13, as we consider the Roots Initiative, is the primary goal of the Roots Initiative. Uh, That This would ultimately be about your sanctification, asking God, what does it look like for me to seek you with all my heart, uh, to, to give you all of myself. This is about discovering God's plan for your life, God's vision for your life. What is, what is vision? Vision is a uh, preferred future that causes passion in the present. So as you're considering God's plan for your life, what is, what is God's preferred future when it comes to sanctification? Uh, what is God's 
preferred future when it comes to your purity, your marriage, uh, your, your work? What is God's preferred future that creates passion in the present to where you'd say, Lord, I want to seek you above all else and seek you with my whole heart? Well, I want to consider three ways that we will seek the Lord this morning through this text. First, we seek the Lord by resting in his plans. We find that in verses one through four. Now, every text has a context that helps us understand where we're at in the biblical storyline. And so whenever we come to Jeremiah 29, it's extremely important that we understand what's going on here. So um, this is after King Solomon, then King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, took over Israel. And what happened under his reign is the, two, the nation of Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Well, in, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And then in the southern kingdom, you've got uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, there's just king after king. You've got some really dark periods of time, a, a couple rays of hope. And what happens in 587 BC is that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to conquer southern Israel, is going to conquer Jerusalem. And there are going to be three deportations where there are exiles taken out of Jerusalem and then taken into Babylon. Now, that is a different strategy from what mil many military powers did up until that time period. And, and here was Nebuchadnezzar's strategy, and it's extremely important for understanding what's going on in this passage. Uh, so King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy uh, was not to conquer a, a people or conquer a nation and then just drive them out of that land and then to occupy that land with his people. Why? Because what would happen? Well, typically, if you just drove somebody out of their land, they would go somewhere else, uh, they would get stronger, they would multiply, and then they would come back and, and seek revenge and then try to wipe you out, right? Um, another strategy during that time period was maybe to just enslave the people. Well, what happens? If, if you just enslave the people and they're, they're, they still maintain their cultural identity uh, as just kind of this separate entity whenever you've conquered them, well, uh, eventually they're going to revolt. And there's a good chance that if they revolt in your midst that it could equal, uh, you know, just kind of upheaval in the kingdom. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to bring some of their people and we're going to let them just be a part of, of Babylon. And maybe as we get them into Babylon, some of their cultural and religious identity will just begin to dissipate. And, and they'll begin to assimilate into Babylon. They'll begin to worship like Babylon, think like Babylonians, and then there won't really be any problem. All right, so that's, his, that's what he's seeking to do is he's bringing exiles into Babylon through these three deportations. Uh, you, you almost see a picture of that with uh, what happens with like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like that is, that is their, their process, trying to bring in these young you know, uh, men of, of nobility and stature to try to just kind of take away their cultural identity. Well, what we're going to see here is that God is going to say to these exiles, you... You might be in a different place, but you're still a distinct people, so live like it. Live intentionally where you are. And you might be thinking, all right, great. Well, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you read 1 Peter, he's writing to Christians, and what does he say in 1 Peter 1.1? He says, to you whom are elect exiles. He's saying your spiritual identity as a Christian is much like God's people in Jeremiah 29. You are an elect exile. What does that mean? Elect, loved by God, uniquely loved by God. 
and in exile to live differently in the world that God has placed you in, right? We know that, that the world we live in is not our ultimate home, and yet we are to be in the world and not of the world. We're to be lights in the world. So as we look at this passage, we see the people of God as exiles in a foreign land and recognize we are elect exiles, not just kind of waiting for Christ to return, not knowing how to spend our days, but living them with a great intentionality to not assimilate into the culture, but to associate with those around us that they might know Christ. Which is why we read in verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What I want you to see is that the letter of Jeremiah, it's right here in the text in verse 1, was not just written to the prophets and the priests, but it was written to all the people. Nebuchadnezzar was going to get a copy of this letter, as we will see. And what we find is that God speaks to his people. What does it look like to rest in God's plan? It is to read God's word. It is to know God's word. God was speaking to his people as they were wondering, what is going on? And we read right here that God's word came to the prophets, to the priests, and to all the people. What great assurance we have as we're seeking God's plan for our life to be able to run to God's word. You continue to read in verse 4. What do we find? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, what do you find interesting about that statement? Who has sent the Israelites into exile? Well, verse 1, we read that it was, it was King Nebuchadnezzar who had taken the people of God into exile. And what do we just read in verse 4? That it was God who has sent his people into exile. Throughout Scripture, you will see that over a hundred times as God's people are in the promised land, the Lord is warning them to turn from false idols, to repent of them, to restore the relationship that God desired with them. And, and there were time after time that they didn't listen. There were kings that didn't seek to follow the Lord and to worship Him. And so the Lord is bringing about this time of exile, not to be destructive to His people, but to refine His people, to restore the relationship that He had with His people. Now, I, I often confess Deuteronomy 29.29 whenever I get to passages like this, that uh, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, right? The Lord's ways are higher than our ways. And while we, while we might not fully understand how uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility work in this passage, because we know that God is sovereign, we can rest in two truths. Looking at this passage, we know that God controls everything and that God cares for his people. And perhaps you're, you're considering your own life right now, some of the struggles you have, some of the things that are bringing tension or anxiety, some of the things that are going on relationally, and you need to be reminded of those two truths. That because God can say, hey, I know that it feels like the whole world is upside down, but I'm in control over you being in exile, that you can sit here this morning and say, I can rest in these two truths, that God is in control of everything, and that, get, and that God personally cares for me, and he knows what is best for me better than I do. Whenever we get to this passage, and we see that it is God who has sent them into exile at the end of verse 4 from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
This is important. It has significant implications for how they live. That they are not where they are by accident. What does it look like to rest in God's plan? It looks like you understanding that nothing about your life is the way it is by accident, but that it is all taking place within the sovereignty of God's care for, for the people in Babylon who are the people of God. This is God's way of saying, I have sent you here. I have sent you to this time, to this place, and to these people. And as we think about planting roots in our city, the same is true of us. We say, Lord, we know that you are a God of intentionality and a God of control. Lord, that you have sovereignly placed each person that is currently in this room right now in Cincinnati for a reason. And you have sent us to this place, to this time, and to these people. Some of you, you, you might say, I applied to a different college. You know, maybe, maybe UC wasn't at the top of your list. Maybe you're trying to get into a residency somewhere else, a fellowship somewhere else, and this is where God brought you. God is sovereign over that. Maybe you've grown up in Cincinnati and you're thinking, well, you know, I've been here for a long time. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to apply for a lot of jobs elsewhere. But, but yet, you, you know, people here, God's placed you here. You're a part of this church. Uh, maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I'm, I could kind of go anywhere next. Uh, maybe others of you are, are here and, and you're wondering wh- what, what the future looks like, what God would have you to do over the next five years. And I would say, if God has brought you here to Cincinnati, if you are in Cincinnati, then at least for this time, God has called you to this place, to these people at this time. Maybe some of you are, are thinking, you know, I, I think that while I've been in Cincinnati, God has placed it on my heart to, to be somewhere else. I know that, I mean, by God's grace, we've had, you know, 10, 11 people called to full-time ministry from Cincinnati to go somewhere else, to be at the international mission field, to, to Louisville to be trained for seminary, and then to go somewhere else. And this is what I would say to those of you that are in, in that stage of life. Maybe some of you who are, feel like, hey, I'm, I'm in residency. I don't know where I'll go next. I'm in med school. I would say be all in while you are here. Join the church. Serve in a ministry. Be a part of a missional community group so that whenever God sends you somewhere else, we're not just transferring your membership. We're sending a missionary to a different part of the world. Because as a church, we want to be a church that recognizes the unique opportunity where God has us, where God has placed us, so that we can leverage that for the good of those around us. And that's what we see in this passage. God is saying, I have sent you into Babylon from Jerusalem. So verse 5, he gives action steps. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We seek the Lord by reaching others and planting roots in the city. The second way that we can seek the Lord is by reaching others and planting roots in the city. Uh, Whenever God tells exiles to go into Babylon and not to assimilate into the culture, but to invest their lives for the good of others, to seek the welfare of the city, to pray for them, that, that they too would know the Lord. He's saying, invest in this city for the good of the city and for the glory of God. You see, whenever the, the, the Israelites were first exiled into Babylon, they, 
they, they moved into this, this place near the K-Bar Canal. And, and they, were, they were saying, okay, let's, let's kind of maintain our, um, our distance from here. And then this letter comes from Jeremiah, and it's saying, no, like build houses, plant vineyards. What, I mean, what is this saying? That you're, you're building your life here in Babylon. God's going to say, you're going to be here for 70 years. This is a temporary thing. He's saying, build, build your life here, plant gardens. If you're planting gardens, you're saying, I'm, I'm sowing seed right now in the soil that I'm going to harvest later and eat. This is going to be a long-term plan. If, if, if there are sons and daughters giving in marriage, this is going to be the place that I am helping raise my grandchildren. The Lord is saying, commit to the city that you've placed in. Though you might be an elect exile, leverage your life for the good of the city and those that call it home. I think this is one of the reasons that I'm so excited about our commitment to the city of Cincinnati by, by planting roots through a permanent church building. Uh, as, as I think about this opportunity that God has given us to, in, in essence, as a church, build our house and plant our vineyard, to say that we, it is not our desire to just be consumers in the city. Uh, we don't want to have a renter's mindset. We want to be a part of the spiritual, social, and economic fabric of our city by, by owning land in our city, by, by having an outpost in our city where, yes, we gather for worship on Sundays and we do ministry throughout the week, but during that time are building each other up so that we can also scatter and do ministry in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, in our homes, to our children, and to everyone around us. And I know that perhaps some people, uh, especially, I mean, think about uh, a church plant that's been portable for seven years, right? We can, we can think about this and say, whoa, 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 hey, church is not a building, right? We're starting to talk a lot about a building. The church isn't a building. The church is a people. And I would say absolutely. And may it be that that is always our mindset. And at the same time, as, as Jimmy and I talked about this this week, we were like, you know, my, my family isn't a house, but a family thrives when you have a place to call home, right? Whenever, whenever I think about, like, my, my boys and my wife, I can't separate that from the gray house with the blue front door on Chandler Street. Why? Because that's the place where we've made memories. That's the place where my boys' heights are written in Sharpies on the wall. That's the place where we, we brought our youngest son home from the hospital. That's the front porch that we take our first day of school pictures on. So, no, the, the church is not a building. And, and a family is not a house, but a family flourishes whenever we have a place to call home. And, and as we think about, Lord, would you, would you raise up a counseling center for people within our church and outside of our church through this permanent location. And we've been praying that prayer for years. And then right now we currently have six people that are going through a counseling certification process. We're thinking, Lord, would you take people that work remote and, and give us a place where we can invite other friends that work remote throughout the week? Uh, just, just to begin using our building. It could, could mothers come and, and use the, the playground equipment that we'll have in the Little Oaks room to, you know, chat on a bench and have Bible study while their kids are running around and playing? Like, Lord, what could you do with this place? Lord, could you use these front doors to say to someone who has wondered for years, does God want anything to do to me? Would you use our front doors to say, you belong here and God does care about you. And he sent his son to die for you so that you would have life in his name. And this body of believers is a family 
that is a living expression of that message to you every single week that we gather. That's our desire. So as we look at a passage like this, we say, Lord, we, we want to build our houses and plant our vineyards. We want this to be a place where we commit to multiply, not only here in this city, but to send missionaries all throughout the world. What we find that's interesting in this passage is that obedience is it's kind of simple. You can almost miss it. It's take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Plant vineyards, build houses and live in them. I mean, this is, this is kind of just normal everyday life, isn't it? But I love that because, because what you see in a, in a passage like this is that seeking the welfare of the city isn't just going to be those grand gestures, but so much happens in the everyday. The prayers that you pray every day on your way to work, those conversations that, that you have with your children as you're coaching your, your son's t-ball team and you begin to invite those other families over for dinner afterwards and, and one of them is struggling with something, you say, hey, I'm a believer. Could I pray for you about this? You know, this, this verse came to mind as you said that. I just really want to be an encouragement to you. You have those kind of conversations with your patients, your roommates, that, that this is simply raising a family in a way that honors the Lord, considering your marriage in a way that honors the Lord, conducting your business, what, like your, your vineyard in a way that honors the Lord, thinking about your neighborhood where you've built your house in a way that honors the Lord. And by doing so, you seek the welfare of the city, not in, not in a grand gesture, but just in everyday faithfulness. Now, I think this is the difference between uh, an avalanche and a glacier, right? Think about that for a moment. If you've ever seen an avalanche, you know that it is just breathtaking, right? An entire mountain begins to move, and it's just covered in white dust as the snow is just shifting, and you don't want to be there right? It's this, it's this huge, momentous event that takes place. But after six months, a year, not really much change. Now consider a glacier, a glacier, just this massive block of ice that slowly melts over time. Day by day, seems unnoticeable. Week by week, you wouldn't even notice it. And yet, what can glaciers accomplish? Oh, they carve canyons. Uh, they create new landscapes over time. What does it look like to say, God, anchor our church so that we're not just a flash in the pan, so that we're not just an avalanche, but so that we are a glacier for gospel ministry for years to come, for generations to come, that there will be those who are currently in baby oaks right now that, they, that we would one day be able to send as missionaries to the nations because this group of people said, God, this is a courageous act of faith. But if you're leading, we're following So let us seek the welfare of our city where God has placed us, where he has sent us. Verse 7, pray for the Lord on its behalf, and in its welfare you will find welfare. That word welfare, seeking the welfare of the city, is the Hebrew word shalom. Seek the peace of the city. Uh, This is a a comprehensive peace uh, that, that symbolizes not just people getting along, but peace in your relationship with God. We know that naturally because of the sin in our heart, we are at war with God. Every person 
is in that state apart from Christ. And, and so for us to seek the peace of the city, maybe for some of you, it is realizing or remembering that through Christ, you yourself can have peace with God. That's what Romans 5.1 says, isn't it? That therefore, because you have been justified through Christ Jesus, you now have peace with God. And from that place of peace that you're able to minister to others so that they might have that same kind of peace with God that you now enjoy. And this will not be easy, right? Our own flesh and, and, and those around us, the, the world around us will often contradict this idea of being, being countercultural for the sake of the Lord. You find that here in, in verses 8 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams they dream. For it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. What, what were the people of Israel experiencing? Uh, there were other prophets in their midst that said, hey, don't listen to Jeremiah. Stay where you're at on the edge of the canal. You're just going to be here for a little bit. Uh, you know, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. There's a guy named Hananiah who's just like, hey, we're going we're gonna to get right back to Jerusalem, okay? Don't plant your lives here. And at the same time, there, there are parts of us, whenever we think about seeking the welfare of our city, investing here, we're like, you know, but what if, what if I'm not here for a long time? You know, what if I'm only here for two years? Should I really, like, invest a lot in, in discipling someone or my friendships here if I'm just kind of passing through? Maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, what if, what if I, I have that conversation with the neighbor and then it's awkward every time from now on that we're, like, taking out our garbage cans at the same time? And it's just kind of like, hey, you know, I'm the Christian that, you know, want, invited you to church. Like, there are always going to be those who, who contradict God's plan or God's will for your life, and sometimes it's even ourselves, and yet the Lord is saying, this is my word for you. Seek the welfare of the city. How do we seek the welfare of our city? Well, it's the three action steps that have been repeated again and again throughout the Roots Initiative. The first is to pray boldly, and we see it right here in the passage, right? That, that verse 7 says, seek the welfare of the city by praying to the Lord on behalf of the city. We should be in constant prayer for our city, we should be in constant prayer for our church. We should be in constant prayer for those that, that don't know the Lord yet. Maybe you keep a list of people that you're praying for. What does it look like to pray? Maybe you set an alarm on your phone at 513 to pray for the 513. What does it look like for you to pray? We pray bold prayers because we believe what? The words of Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What prayers are you currently praying that could only be answered by the power of God? It's prayers for your family, prayers for the students that you're leading in, in Young Life or some other campus ministry. We pray boldly. We've seen the Lord answer prayers, prayers bolder than we could have imagined. That's why on the commitment card that you're turning in next, next week, we have a, a part where you can write a prayer for the Oaks, because I, I want to read those, and I want to read them five years from now, and to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. We seek the welfare of our city by praying boldly, but also by living missionally. We often say that at the Oaks, every member is a missionary. 
What does it look like for you to consider those around you, those in your location, your vocation, and your recreation, those who live around you, work around you, and are at the same places where you spend your time? Who is close to you but far from God, and how can you bridge the gap? Who is close to you but far from God, and how can you bridge that gap by living missionally? Is it saying, hey, would you want to read through the book of John with me? Would you want to grab coffee this week? Would your family want to come over for dinner so that you could live missionally? There's this story of the church that Charles Spurgeon pastored in the 1850s. It was a church in London called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And historians wrote about this church Uh, specifically the way that they impacted London during this time period. And one biographer said that if the Metropolitan Tabernacle had shut down at any point during the decade of grappling with the problems of the Industrial Revolution, the city of London would have been crippled. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine your neighbors saying, man, if they didn't live in that house and we wouldn't have had that conversation, I don't know where I would be. Wouldn't you want years from now to be the testimony that someone is telling around their dinner table? Yeah, one day my coworker just started talking to me about Jesus. That, that we would be the church. That if those in, in Cincinnati would say, you know what, if, if this church wasn't here, if this church wasn't on this block, if this church wasn't serving it in this way, my life would be radically different. Our city would be radically different. And I know that there are ways that you serve others that I'm not even aware of. And I'm encouraged by the way that I already see this taking place. And I know that whenever we consider our city, a city of 2 million people that is only 16% evangelical, we can think, man, this is a huge task ahead of us. But, but we remember who our God is, and at the same time, we were reminded that a city of 2 million people comes to Christ through one conversation with one person one at a time one conversation, one bold prayer, one moment of faith. That's how God reaches a city. That's how God reaches a people. And so we seek the welfare of our city by living missionally, seeking to make mature and multiply disciples. Here, Jeremiah, inspired by God, says, have sons and daughters, multiply there. And and that's a part of the creation mandate, right? To continue to multiply there. And at the same time, whenever I think of that through a a new covenant lens, I see that there is a moment where Jesus tells his people to multiply by going and making disciples. What does it look like for us to not as as what was taking place in Jeremiah 29 to say as, as a national identity, let's continue to multiply, but to say as a supernatural identity, Let us multiply that many people would know the Lord. Third, we give sacrificially. When we talk about generosity at the Oaks, we often talk about it in three categories, our time, our treasures, and our talents. What does it look like to give of your time? For most of us, our time is our most valuable commodity because we know that there is no way to get any more, and we all have the same 24 hours in a day. But you can give of your time by by serving others, by offering someone a ride, by being intentional about, uh, you know, your, your time at MC, not just showing up at your missional community group, but walking through the doors saying, Lord, give me the sensitivity to have a, a conversation in which I encourage someone to faithfulness in the Lord. Not just time, just be there, but to really be present as you are wherever you are for the Lord. Our time, our treasure, 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. Uh, so, so what does it look like to say, if, if where I place my treasure is a barometer of my heart, Lord, I want to give my, my heart to you. I believe that everything I have belongs to you. And I know sometimes whenever you're in church and we begin talking about money, you can begin to feel uneasy. And so here's what I want you to know. Giving generously is just an aspect of Christian discipleship. The same as praying, reading your Bible, gathering together for a Sunday. And, and perhaps it helps you to know as we're having a conversation like this, that one, I don't know what anybody gives at the Oaks. I never have. Um, and two, our church is doing really well financially. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not coming at this saying, hey, if, man, if the Roots Initiative flops, then you know we're all going to be scattering somewhere else. That's, that's not what's going on here, right? Like, we're, we're doing really well. And at the same time, what does it look like to seek the welfare of our city? It's, it's to give generously, to give generously and sacrificially so that God would continue to do what he has already been doing in our city. Whenever we think about the Roots Initiative, we're thinking about what does it look like to raise $100,000 to $150,000 uh, so that we can finish this building and begin doing ministry in and through this building. Um, there, there are two ways that we've broken that down. In one, it's single gifts for the Roots Initiative for Commitment Sunday next week. And the second is uh, monthly gifts that will be a part of just our giving for 2024 and beyond to be able to sustain our budget for 2024. Well, what, what does it look like for us to give single gifts? And where could God be calling you to obediently follow him in that way? Uh, it looks like 151 families or individuals saying, yeah, I believe that God is calling me to give this amount. And on Commitment Sunday next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this amount online or in person. Uh, we've broken that down, not to say, hey, we've got to like fill all these numbers, but to just give you an idea of, of what that looks like. Um, so you can see it on the slide behind me. It's also in these Roots Initiative books that if if you say, okay, I think I could comfortably give this, or you know, this, this would be a stretch, we know that God is calling every single person to be obedient. So if you're like, you know, I, I don't feel like God is calling me to take this step here, but I know I'm called to be generous somewhere else, we'd say, be faithful to the Lord. But if you're a part of this church, and you say, I wanna be a part of what God is doing in this church for, for decades to come, I'd say prayerfully consider what it looks like for your family to give here. For some of you, this might mean saying, you know what, I'm not getting the new iPhone. We're not finishing the basement. Uh, you know what, we could go on that vacation, but we're going to go on this vacation. Uh, what does it look like for you to, to say, hey, could I, what could I forego to be a part of what God is doing here? Now, what does it look like monthly for you to give? To, to say, hey, I, I think this is where I could be, this is where our family could be, so that we're able to continue to do ministry in this city. Um, it's cool, we got a phone call from John P. Parker Elementary this past week, and many of you know that in February we hosted the Get Out of the Cold event where we rented out Urban Air for a Saturday morning, we invited all of their students, and we had like over 100 kids there with their families uh, just like hanging out at Urban Air, it was super fun. Well, they, they asked all of the kids, hey, for your end of the year reward for taking tests and all this kind of stuff, what do you wanna do? And they said, we want to do that thing that that church took us to do again. Uh, that the, the, just by, by a landslide, every, every kid, uh, almost every kid said, we want to go back to Urban Air, and uh, do you think that church would help us to go there again? And so they, you know, the, one of the administrators at John P. Parker called Drew this week and said, hey, would you guys be willing to help fund this and to provide volunteers again? And we said, absolutely. Uh, 
Well, whenever we think about being a church that is bringing restoration through the gospel, that begins with relationships like that. That's one school. What would it look like to not just meet our budget, but to exceed our budget so that we could do stuff like that with five schools in our city? Well, what does it look like for us to give sacrificially because sacrifice is giving what you love to gain what you love more? And it's to be on mission with God, doing the will of God where God has placed us. Generosity is much more about what is in our hearts than what is in our hands. And so if, if you're thinking, you know what, uh, no amount on the screen, that, that doesn't equate, just forget about that, right? What does it look like for you to be generous? If you've never given before, what does it look like to give once? If, if you give sporadically, what does it look like to just give regularly? An amount that you'd say, hey, this is sacrificial but faithful. If, if you currently give, what does it look like to pray about increasing your generosity or to just have a renewed sense of purpose whenever you think about giving to the mission of God through the church? See, how do we become those who give sacrificially? It is because we are reminded that Christ gave his life for us to seek our welfare. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What do we see in the high priestly prayer in John 17? That it is the Lord Christ who prays boldly for us to seek our welfare. What do we see in the incarnation? Christ stepping from heaven into the dust to save us. We see that he's the ultimate missionary who lived his life and ultimately died our death to redeem us. And there is no greater sacrifice given than the life of the Son of God on our behalf that we could have life. He has sought our welfare. And so we seek the Lord third and finally by responding in faithfulness. In this passage, the last five verses here that we'll look at. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is what God is saying. He's saying, know that my plans for you are for your welfare, even whenever you're in this difficult place, going through this difficult time. And why does he tell them that? Because if we become self-obsessed with seeking our own welfare, we will be in the worst possible position to consider serving someone else and seeking the welfare of another. But if God says, you know what? I am eternally concerned with your welfare. So you seek the welfare of those around you. Because I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for your good. They're plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. You continue reading. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's our desire, that our ultimate peace, he's, he's telling the people of Israel, your ultimate peace is not about the place that you live, but in the person of God, in my presence. So seek me, no matter where you are, as you seek the welfare of the city that you are in. And in verse 14, he says, I will gather you from all the nations. That God is gathering a people from all nations. We're going to see that as we finish Romans, Romans, uh, the next section of Romans 15 next week. As we look to Christ, the one who John 1.14, as Monica read, became flesh. He took on flesh to dwell among us. He moved into our city, our sin-sick city that is a world corrupted by our fallen nature to save us, to redeem us. The Word became flesh 
grace, and truth. And as Christ has laid down his life for us, so we are committed to laying down our life for others. Because as Christ has sought us, we aim to seek the welfare of others for the good of our city and for the glory of God. Let's pray.